This is 105.9 The Region, where parents talk and explore practical, proactive, and evidence-based solutions. This is Where Parents Talk with Leanne Castellino. It's great to have you along here on 105.9 The Region. You're listening to Where Parents Talk. I'm Leanne Castellino, and our topic today is one that's affecting more and more families in Canada. If you have a sizable commute to work, are away for prolonged stretches from your family for work-related reasons, or travel on a regular basis for your job, then you will likely be able to relate to today's conversation. Our guest is a leading Canadian sociologist. She is a distinguished university professor at Memorial University in Newfoundland, a researcher, and a member of the Order of Canada. Dr. Barbara Nace is also a mother of two and a grandmother. She's one of the editors of a new book called Families, Mobility, and Work, published in the fall of 2022. Dr. Nace joins us today from St. John's. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the invitation, Leanne. It's lovely to be here. Families, Mobility, and Work is the name of the book. It is a culmination of more than a decade's worth of research. What was the catalyst that led to the creation of this book? Well, the the book is the product of something we call the On the Move Partnership, which was funded by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council more than 10 years ago. Uh, and the catalyst for that project was initially uh, work we were doing in rural Newfoundland in fishing communities, where we discovered that uh, in many of the communities, a lot of the adults were missing, particularly the men. Um, and we were trying to work with communities around helping them rebuild their economies after the collapse of the, the cod stocks. And we realized that we had very little information on who was away, where they were. It was very hard to get statistical information uh, and lots of rumors and suggestions about what was going on and how it was affecting those communities and the families in the communities. But there really wasn't any research on that. So that's that was the beginning. Um, but then as we developed the project and started to look more broadly at extended mobility for work or complex mobility for work, we realized that it's not just fly in, fly out or drive in, drive out workers who are affected by this. There's many, many different kinds of workers who are dealing with complex extended mobilities for work. Uh, and there really hadn't been a comprehensive study on that. So it became a national study uh, operating in seven provinces with many co-investigators off many across many universities and international collaborators as well, and partners like the Vanier Institute, the family. And so, and in the process of that, we started looking not just at people who were again, traveling long distances for work, but they might not be going very far, but it, they had complex extended mobility, such as home care workers, for example, who might have to take public transit, uh, would get up in the morning, would take their child to school, and then would go to their first uh, home where they would work, and then they would have downtime, and they'd hang out in Tim Hortons and so on. And then they would go to their second placement and those placements would change. Uh, and they might be 
away from home for say 15 or 16 hours or 10 hours or 12, but paid for only five or six of those hours or truck drivers or seafarers or there's so many people, construction workers in Canada for whom mobility is a kind of core central part of what they are grappling with as they try to combine finding work and completing that work uh, and family life at home. Speaking of that family life, I am curious as to what struck you most as you sort of looked at, conducted, and then compiled this research as it relates specifically to your findings around families and work uh, mobility. It's interesting because early on we did a paper, Chrissy Vincent and I did a review paper that looked at basically the potential relationship between work scheduling uh, and parenting, particularly child educational achievement. Uh, and you know what we, we saw in that literature was that a whole range of things um, might impact um, child educational achievement that are also linked to work and mobility. Uh, so for example, just physical presence, right? So child educational, Achievements might be stronger if the parents are involved in their education, but if the parents are not physically available to be involved, um, that's a potential threat to that relationship and to that success. And similarly, if they're not available or they're stressed out or you've got what we call fragile synchronicity, so the work scheduling and the child scheduling just don't mesh particularly well. Uh, then and and that's stressful, and so and there may be also issues with effective availability. So the emotional availability of a parent and potential. So we we kind of started there, but I think, you know, I think that when you start to look at all these different relationships, uh, different kinds of mobility and the consequences, there are a whole bunch of things that come with not just the time bind that comes from say a two hour commute uh, in Toronto where you or in Newfoundland where you lived in St. John's and had a two hour drive out to a construction work site, um, but also the spatial issue of just not being in the same place. Too often we assume that people get up in the morning uh, and they go a short distance to work and it's always the same workplace. There's only one workplace and there's stability there. And all of our thinking around children and parenting and all of these things takes that for granted. But there's a huge proportion of the population for which that's just not the case. Precarious employment is so widespread now, particularly in places like Ontario, but elsewhere as well. So you don't know where you're gonna be going to go to work. So you can't move close to your workplace because maybe it's not in the same place anymore, uh, or it's only a short term, or you're doing three jobs and it's taking you in different um, directions. So there are all of these things that we really need to think about in terms of how they might impact families. This is Where Parents Talk here on 105.9 The Region. I'm Leanne Castellino in conversation with Dr. Barbara Nace, leading Canadian sociologist, member of the Order of Canada, and we're talking about some of the research findings in her book called Families, Mobility and Work. As you note, there are so many aspects to what 
impacts family life today over and beyond your area of study. What do you see as some of the opportunities here? You've outlined some of the impacts but what are and the challenges, but what are some of the opportunities that we should be paying attention to? Opportunities that come from mobility. Well, again, I live in a region of Canada, uh, you know, where we've had historically very high unemployment, particularly in rural areas. Uh, And so mobility for work uh, has provided an opportunity often uh, for for at least some rural workers to find good sources of income. If you think, for example, of seafarers, right? So a seafarer might be away from home for six weeks at a time. It's a long rotation often. Uh, and then they're home or they're working on offshore oil and gas platforms or they're, they're you know, or maybe they're working in Alberta or they're truck driving. But the mobility gives them access to income and potentially job security that they couldn't get if they stayed in their community. It also allows them to stay in their community. That's the other thing that, you know, we've talked to families who moved back from Alberta to, say, live in Newfoundland and opted for extended rotations. Um, because it allowed them to live close to family. Uh, It gave them the opportunity, if you like, uh, to have the supports that come from from that and also to have a particular kind of lifestyle that they preferred, which was rural uh, and access to a whole range of activities and so on and so forth. So there's no question that there are opportunities in certain kinds of uh, mobility, but the flip side of that is that you know mobility is costly, uh, increasingly costly. Uh, if the employer is managing that that the costs of that and the arrangements of getting to and fro, uh, if the rotation is reasonable, say two weeks on and two weeks off, you, you can get a lot of downtime with your family and compensate for the other time and you're away. But if it's six weeks away and a week home, right, or all winter or whatever, then we're into a very different kind of situation. Um, And again, it doesn't have to be long distances. Uh, Stephanie Premti's research in Toronto with recent immigrants really highlighted you know, the challenges that they, they, the combination of racism and poverty that meant that they often were living in fairly remote parts of the city that were poorly served by public transit. Uh, and they were working in precarious employment, uh, often in the downtown. They had to get from one place to the other. They're working family unfriendly hours, uh, say night shift as cleaners or whatever, when the public transit is often also not great. So the op- so the opportunities there, I think, or the first opportunity is let's take mobility seriously. Work-related mobility is widespread. We're looking at about 16% of the Canadian labor force that's engaged in some kind of extended complex mobility for work. That's huge, right? While we're dealing with labor shortages, while we're dealing with many issues uh, in the wider economy. So the question then is, now that we're paying attention to this, if we're paying attention, and we did during COVID, I'm not sure we are anymore. Um, although there is all this discussion around people who want to work from home, right? But again, not everybody can work from home. Let's be clear. Only some people can work from home. So let's pay attention to the ones who have to be mobile. 
understand the conditions of mobility and then start to think what types of policy changes do we need to improve their capacity to both work and parent and have family and community lives. We're going to delve into what kind of policy changes should be considered to support families and also look at the impact of work-related mobility on grandparents. Our conversation with Dr. Barbara Nace continues after the break. Also, the full video interview with Dr. Nace is available on whereparentstalk.com. And if you missed any part of today's show, you can download the podcast at 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your podcasts. More ahead. Stay with us. Want to learn more about the show? Email info at whereparentstalk.com. Stick around. Leanne Castellino and Where Parents Talk will be right back on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to Where Parents Talk. Listen live at 1059theregion.com. Here's Leanne Castellino. If you have a prolonged commute for work or have to be away from home for stretches because of your job, then you're part of a growing sector of Canada's workforce. This is Where Parents Talk here on 105.9 The Region. I'm Leanne Castellino, and we're talking about work-related mobility and its impact on the family. Our guest is Dr. Barbara Nace, leading Canadian sociologist and university professor. Now, data from the 2021 census in Canada found that multi-generational households are the fastest growing census family household type in this country in recent decades. Multi-generational households pertain to three or more generations living under the same roof. Dr. Nace, what's been the greatest impact of this trend as noted in your research? That's work that's been done mostly out of Prince Edward Island and Cape Breton by Christina Murray and her team. Uh, And she's working with um, community organizations where basically grandparents who have ended up raising their grandchildren and caring for them uh, have begun to mobilize and to try to deal with all of the challenges that they experience. And the link there to mobility is that, again, if we have essentially family-unfriendly and worker-unfriendly policies related to work scheduling, encompassing also work mobility, that pushes puts stresses and strains on families, right? And so, you know, part of the On the Move project documented some of these real issues with mental health issues in, for example, in work camps. The isolation of women living in rural areas whose partners are absent, but who may not feel that they can actually publicly engage in their community without triggering gossip and and so on and so forth, right? So you have all of these tensions and you have uh, mobile children who, uh, you know, there are issues potentially with drugs and so on. You're moving from one environment to another and then you're coming back again and you may be coming back with drug-related addictions and, and so on. So when you put all this together, one of the things that you could end up with is parents who basically don't have the capacity, in a sense, to raise their own children uh, and or who 
are gone for work and the in order for them to go the parent the grandparents have to take over but then may have to keep taking over and ultimately take responsibility so it's how that responsibility for grandparents can create opportunities for them to be close to those grandchildren uh, to you know to grow up with them to have them nearby as opposed to say far away um, but also some of the challenges uh, for them and they can be in terms of legal recognition of their 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 responsibility uh, state support of their responsibility for those children uh, the ability to main to be elderly and have the type of life they thought they might have when they retired uh, as opposed to the life that they end up with. So this is a complex field and there's some very interesting and important work, I think, happening around this in, in Prince Edward Island and some other places. Is there anything in particular with respect to what you just described uh, as it relates to grandparents, in many cases, being responsible for raising their grandchildren on their own independently that surprised you uh, in terms of the findings of, of that research? I guess from my point of view, the it it is the the uh, it was I noticed it recently in a CBC story. There was another case where they were talking about and this was an indigenous grandparent uh, who was talking about, well, you know, if um, you know, if I'm taking care of a child under one situation, I'm entitled to this kind of state support. If they are foster children, if I'm a foster parent and I'm taking care of a child, I get far more support. And then if I actually adopt them, I don't get hardly any state support. So this is the type of issue that the grandparents movement in Prince Edward Island is really trying to address. You know, that if, if, we, if there's an expectation and a desire on their part to take responsibility where the parents cannot do that. Uh, and this may be work-related mobility, it could be any number of things. Um, then, then what types of programming and supports do we need to have in place to make that work for the grandparent, the grandchildren, and ultimately for the parents as well? So along those lines, what kind of policy changes do you believe need to be looked at, first of all, in the short term, and why is that? From a policy point of view, we have to look at, um, and I don't think we've done enough of this, we have to think about precarious employment. There's more and more employment is precarious. We don't have job security. Um, and we also, you know, the housing market in some parts of the country is really out of control, particularly for lower income earners, right? So we've, we've got this real dilemma and in a sense, everybody's losing, right? You, people, you, you, we've got labor shortages on the one hand, uh, you know, we've got people who are struggling uh, to, in a sense, spatially match their access to work uh, and their ability to live and to have a place where they can have a family and so on and so forth. All right. So the question is, how can we fix these things? And I think, you know, some of the responsibility goes to employers, but also to government in terms of employment standards. I mean, what what are we doing in a sense to require employers to be accommodating, to meet the needs in work scheduling, to accommodate to the needs of families, including this, the challenges of, of mobility? 
right? Because again, you're away from your family, not simply, you know, let's, let's say you're offered a four hour shift here and a two hour shift there and a three hour shift there, and you're trying to patch all this together. Um, and, you know, the hours are, are family unfriendly and so on. What There's so much, I think, that we need to talk about there. And I think the same is true for, say, fly-in, fly-out workers. Uh, there's a chapter in the book where um, Kara Arnold and Nora Spinks tried to survey fly-in, fly-out companies, right, who are bringing in and out workers from, from long distances. And about the what they do in their policies and practices in their companies to accommodate the needs uh, of those workers from a family point of view. And there was very little, right? So, and most of what's offered is basically, uh, you know, an employee assistance program, which is essentially when things go wrong, right? Well, you know, when your marriage starts to fall apart or you've got a problem with your children or whatever, you know, then you can go to a counselor, you can do this. But there, there is not, there's very little indication that there is any sense on the part of employers that that in scheduling they need to proactively anticipate potential consequences and try to accommodate the complex needs of families and migration and so on uh, in their work scheduling. Our guest is Dr. Barbara Nace, Canadian sociologist and university professor. This is Where Parents Talk. I'm Leanne Castellino, and we're talking about the impact of work-related mobility, travel, commuting on the family and household. Dr. Nace, what would you like readers of Families, Mobility and Work to take away from this book? The first thing I would say is, <laughs> let's just stop operating with models that people get up in the morning, um, take care of their kids, get them off to school and then, you know, walk down the street or drive down the street or take the, you know, the, the bus uh, or bike and go to their place of work and the place of work is fixed. Uh, and, and, you know, the mobility isn't a problem, right? It's a challenge. Uh, it's not the same challenge for everyone. Um, when people, when we hear that people who got to work from home during COVID don't want to go back to the office. I think we have to say, you know, what does this tell us? But we have to not stop there, right? We Then we have to say, well, but what about all of, you know, so what is so attractive about being able to work from home? Because there are lots of downsides. We know that in terms of working from home, particularly I think for, for women often. Um, so, but, there are lots of people for whom that's always going to be impossible. You're plumbers, right? You're all of the people we need to keep the system going are a lot of them. It's just not going to be feasible. So then we have to say, well, if they have to be mobile and we don't like mobility, we don't want to be mobile. Then we have to say, okay, so what do we need to do, I think, as a society uh, to make this work? and to make sure that it works effectively. And that's everything, I think, from employer policies, through labor standards, through public health requirements, through housing issues. Uh, it's right across the board, transportation and so on. And we just have to be more aware that there was a 
a, a, an excellent review that was done by Hughes and Silver as part of On the Move that looked at work family literature, you know, and the focus in that on time bind. But again, that literature for the most part has focused on a narrow tight range of occupations and has not taken mobility into account, right? The assumption is it's not a problem. But what, and the reason why we get away with that, I think, uh, is partly because somebody's quietly doing the work of trying to make this work, right? We call it fragile synchronicities. Somebody's got to make the, all the different patterns of work and school and so on and travel between them and family lives of all of these different people in this household. Somebody's got to make it come together and somehow or other, you know, keep it going, you know, and it's, it's the families themselves. I think often the women, the grandparents, whoever's available are stepping up to make that work, but it can be very, very, very challenging. And I think we, we haven't done enough to identify how challenging that is and to identify ways to, to help mediate that and to support them because, it's not going away, right? Maybe we'll go away for some people, but I don't think it's going away for a lot of others. So much food for thought on a complex topic, but one that is increasingly necessary to talk about for the health and well-being of family life in this country and certainly well beyond Canada. Dr. Barbara Nace, leading Canadian sociologist, Distinguished University Sociology Professor at Memorial University in Newfoundland and Editor of Families, Mobility and Work, we so appreciate your time and your insight today. Thank you. For the full video interview with Dr. Nace, go to whereparentstalk.com. Also, we'd love to hear from you, so feel free to email us at info at whereparentstalk.com. That is our time for today. I'm Leanne Castellino. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you'll join us next time. Sign up for Leanne's parenting newsletter and so much more at whereparentstalk.com. This is Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region.